Good evening. It's, uh, it's nice to be with you uh, tonight. We're going to read tonight from 1 uh, John chapter 2 and verses 1 to 2. Just those first couple of verses in 1 John uh, chapter 2. And, uh, and they say this. My children, I am writing this so that you won't sin. But if you do sin, Jesus Christ always does the right thing. And he will speak to the Father for us. Christ is the sacrifice that takes away our sins and the sins of all of the world's people. Um, I don't know about you, but I find as I um, kind of take my kids about to various things and as I go into schools quite a bit, um, that increasingly and more and more we meet people who don't like rules. I don't know if you like rules. Uh, but life is governed by lots of rules, isn't it? Rules of the road, rules in the schoolroom, rules at work. Uh, rules are everywhere. But we don't tend to like rules very much. As Christians, we don't like uh, legalism. We, we don't like structure uh, too much. We believe that the Christian life is about a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus. And it is. And so we, we do and we must and we can and we like to talk about what God has given us through Jesus and that capacity to know him. Um, it was interesting hearing in, uh, in Falco's prayer, it's about praying for people who are going through difficult times. And what's the joy of knowing Jesus in those difficult times is the relationship of the Son of God, especially with God himself in the midst of those trials and difficulties, isn't it? And so our, our faith, our, our relationship with God is that. It's a relationship through Jesus. What we profess to have in God is not based on rules, and we must do this and we must do that. But I wonder sometimes if we've gone so far down that road that as God's people now, we've become apathetic in regards to discipline. We've become apathetic in regard to the pursuit of holiness and the practice of self-control. Because the scriptures talk about our relationship with Jesus, but they talk about the gift of the spirit of self-control. And so we need to marry those two things up together. Now John here is writing all these years before to a people who are perhaps in such a place of apathy. Um, and so maybe if we feel that, yeah, we don't like uh, rules, our relationship is that it's a relationship. But we struggle with that pursuit of holiness and that, that practice of self-control. Um, then perhaps we are in large company, even if not good company. And so therefore, these words of John uh, to us, that they're good news to us, aren't they? They're good news because they remind us, actually, of we're in this together and that there is hope for us. That these are life-giving words. Life-giving words to those, perhaps, who have never asked God at all uh, for forgiveness. And, and, and I'm, in one sense, tonight, I don't know any of you. Uh, and so I can look at you all and say this. If you've never asked God, if you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins then these words offer hope and they offer that freedom and that certainty for us. If you're looking for assurance to those that have repented of sin, then that assurance is found in these words. That assurance is there that sometimes we can come as sincerely and as heartfelt as we can and we can offer our repentance to God for we know the sin in our lives, we can know what it means to be forgiven, but yet we find ourselves in that same place. And sometimes we wonder, will God still love me now? How does God feel about me now? Because he's forgiven me once and twice and a third time for this. And here I am again. Well, there is hope in these words because it speaks of an advocate. It speaks of the son who goes to the father 
So these words offer hope. If you're not a Christian, if you've never confessed your sins to God, well, these, are, these words are full of hope. But these words are not primarily written to you. Uh, these words are written to those that profess Christ already. Verse 1 says, my, my children, my children. Uh, sometimes being addressed as children can feel a bit patronizing, can't it? Um, but this isn't patronizing. It's not that nauseating feel of they're looking down at me or talking down to me. But these are the words of a heavenly father. My children. These words are endearing and they're securing, aren't they? Because they talk about our relationship and our status as children of God. Um, I have two children. Uh, My eldest is 14. My youngest is 10. Uh, very nearly 11, as she likes to remind me. And, and I walk my daughter to school in the morning. And uh, in, in the place where we live, um, because of lots of things that we're involved in, I know lots of people. And so we walk down, to walk into school, and people will say, morning, Steve, morning, Steve. Uh, to which Bethany says, how do you know all of these people, and who are they? And uh, I have to give her a bit of a tale as to kind of who they are, and what she should call them, and all this kind of stuff. But I say to her, well, only you and Josh get to call me dad, because you're my kids. And I will know lots of people, but you call me dad, and and my relationship to you is different, and the way that I look at you is different, and the things that you can ask of me are different, because you are my children. And so we get in this reminder here that we are the children of God, and that's not patronizing, it's endearing, and it is securing, for it, it talks up and it speaks our relationship with God. When my daughter is upset, she will climb onto my lap and wrap her arms around me because I am her father. When we are upset, we can kind of, as it were, metaphorically climb into the arms of our father who calls us his children. These words are securing to us. that They remind us of our status as children of God. It goes on, it says, I am writing this so that you won't sin. That you won't sin. Now, the gospel is not, do not sin, but yet we have an instruction here to not sin. The gospel is to not stop sinning so as to receive from God. The gospel is come to God in repentance and receive forgiveness of sins. To receive something, not out of duty or out of earned, anything like that, but it's a gift from God. But yet now to Christians, we're given an instruction, stop sinning. Stop sinning. You have been forgiven. You have been forgiven. It has no hold of you anymore. Stop sinning. So the gospel is given to us, and then self-discipline, as it were, is perhaps enabled by the Holy Spirit, but it comes from us. Well, we have a gift of the Holy Spirit to practice self-control, and so we need to exercise that. It comes from within us. Our forgiveness is given, but how we live in our pursuit of holiness it's something that we need to work at. It's something that we need to be invested in. For we have this instruction, don't sin. Don't resist the will of God in your life and to how you are to live your life. There'll be things that God will put before us and we're to listen to that and lean into that and to do that. We're not to resist his will and his way and his leading and his instruction over our lives. Don't look for ways to get out of doing the things that God has asks of us. God has been clear, hasn't he, about all kinds of things. And sometimes, particularly in our world, we'll find people that like to pretend that God is vague about all kinds of things. 
as a means of justifying a sin, a means of justifying a, a preference or something that they may like. And John says, don't. The trick of the devil, as we can see in uh, right back at the beginning of Genesis, is to ask, did, did God really say that? Did God really want you to do that? Is that really what he asked of you? Well, yes, he did. Yes, he did. And we need to take notice of that. We need to take notice of the, of the, of the, kind of the, the wisdom and the instruction and the teaching and the leading of God in our lives. And we need to stop sinning. Why do we need to talk about the seriousness of sin to God's people? Well, so that we stop sinning. Because it matters and it's serious. There's a consequence to it, is it like? I mean, our new desire uh, as God's people is to not sin. So that evidence is our forgiveness and this relationship we have with our Father. To live a life without sin evidences a new freedom that we have, a capacity to say no to the temptations and the struggles that come before us. To evidence that the indwelt power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Uh, to to recognise and to, to proclaim his mercy and grace upon our lives. His will over our decisions. To exercise the fruit of the spirit of self-control. So do not sin. But yet increasingly we live in a culture that says you can do whatever you like as long as no one gets hurt. Do whatever you like as long as everyone consents. Do whatever you like as long as it makes you happy. But that's not what God says. That's not what we have for us in the word. For the word says, don't sin. Just don't sin. We need to see, perhaps, and be reminded again and again and again and remind ourselves that we need to see that God gets hurt when we sin. God hurts when we sin. Our culture says, don't talk about my sins and uh, we're very good at drawing comparisons of ourselves aren't we we kind of say don't look at me why are you on my case look at them or look at them look at the lives that they are living perhaps now uh, given what's happening in the world people may say how can you talk about my sin of this look at putin and the war that is right um, that is raging in ukraine his sins are terrible which they are but that doesn't mean that our sin doesn't exist it doesn't mean that my sin doesn't matter. For God says to me, look, you are my child and I love you and your status is secure. It's given to you by Jesus, but your sin matters. It doesn't matter how small or insignificant we might think it is in comparison to that of another. It matters. It matters. And whilst I think as God's people we know this, sometimes I wonder whether we've really let that take root in our lives so as to change our actions and our behaviour. So that we, who are those that are forgiven, we sometimes need that instruction again, don't we? Do not sin. Do not sin. In one sense, I know, we know, that we know this. But don't sin. Don't sin. It damages that relationship which Jesus bought for us. It damages the way that we live our lives. It damages the relationships that we have with other people around us in our, in our, in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools. When we sin, it hurts people and it hurts God. It hurts him. Perhaps we need to think of uh, sin. I like to think pictorially about things. It helps me at least. Perhaps we need to think of our sin as being a bit like um, taking a baseball bat to Jesus. Because we just wouldn't do that, would we? We wouldn't do that to anybody, let alone Jesus. 
So perhaps we need to think pictorially and to think that my sin has that effect on God. It hurts. It hurts. And so therefore it produces the same effect in us that we go, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not even going to entertain the idea of doing it. But these verses that we read are not the whole or even the start of this letter. The build-up from the end of chapter 1 of this letter from John is to acknowledge your sin. And we each need to do that. We will each have different sins in our lives. We need to acknowledge our sinfulness. Then we need to confess our sin. And then we need to walk in the light of our forgiveness in Jesus. But then not sin at all. To not just go, well, I'm a sinner and God's grace is great and he's going to forgive me forever. And so therefore I can do what I want and I can live how I want. No, no, we need to not sin at all. To not sin ever. Neither becoming or living as a Christian is a thing of formula. But there is a degree of logic to it. It is in a right sense. It's a progressive thing in that we acknowledge our sin. We confess our sin. We walk in the light, which is to walk with Jesus. We practice self-control, which is to not sin again. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. I don't know your lives. I don't know your circumstances, but it's hard. We will each have things, different things perhaps, that we will struggle with. Things that will perhaps trip us up. Things that we, it's a temptation and we are aware of it and we don't want to give in to it. But too much of the time we find that we have. And we feel guilty and we feel sad and we feel bad about it afterwards. And, and so God reminds us here, God reminds us here um, that he's given us the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. We have it in us to withstand. We have that capacity to practice the self-control that says, no, I am not going to do that. The next point that we can see here is that John writes this so that we do not sin. Um, And perhaps that could be as simple as that he's given a written instruction, um, do not sin, kind of full stop, end of. But it's perhaps more likely, he believes, that not only can he give voice to that instruction to not sin, but that his words and his letter can help us to not sin. It's as though he writes it so that we would not sin and not just tell us to not to, but to help us not to. There's some implications of that, aren't there? And the Bible tells us what sin is. We we should be left in no doubt as to how we are to live and and, and the choices that we make and the way that we be responsible for our bodies and our lives and our families and our relationships because the Bible has been clear with us. I get nervous when people say that, uh, that this or that is not a sin because they just don't think that God would feel that without having any real idea of what the Bible might say about it at all. So the Bible tells us what sin is so that we would not do it. And so we need to know the Bible so as to know what sin is so we know we're not what, so as to we know that we know what we're not meant to be doing. The second implication is that the Bible empowers us to fight that temptation. The truth and the grace and the power of the word of God in our lives helps us to resist that temptation. When Jesus was tempted, it was scripture that he quoted Scripture was his defense and his help, for the Bible literally helps us to not sin. It tells us what sin is, and it gives us the means to fight against it. I was with a, talking with a lady just a few weeks ago who was a, a kind of a brand new Christian, having become a Christian only uh, a couple of months ago. And uh, she'd been away on holiday, and she got back off her holiday, came to church, 
And uh, she said, Steve said, uh, my pattern of prayer and Bible reading went out the window while I was on holiday. And she said, I noticed the difference in the way that I spoke to my husband. I noticed the difference in the way that I behaved. And in one sense, of course you will. In every sense, so will we. The reading of God's word is not a rudimentary tick box exercise. I need to, I will, I have, tick. It doesn't work like that. The reading of God's word is a gift of grace to us. It's a means of help to us that enables us to know what sin is and to give us the strength to say no to it. We don't want this to be our future, do we? Perhaps many of us know what it's like to kind of to have a sin, confess it, and then repeat and repeat. We don't want that to be our future. But perhaps we can identify there are times in our past where that has been our pattern. The second half of verse 1 says these words, But if you do sin, if you do sin, Jesus Christ always does the right thing, and he will speak to the Father for us. I don't know about you, but it's just, just wow, isn't it? It's kind of wow. He's shown me how to live. He's given me help to live that way. And he knows that even when I stumble and when I fall, he's there to pick up the pieces. He's there to restore. He's there to advocate for us. They're like, these words are like a balm to our soul. They take me back to the night when I sat on my bed and gave my life first time to the Lord. They remind me of the times when the Lord has humbled me after I've done something stupid and convicted me and offered me his grace. Jesus goes to the Father and intercedes for us. He goes to the Father and intercedes for us. He goes to the Father and intercedes for you. I can almost imagine it. You can imagine Jesus walking up to his Father and going, we've got to talk about Steve again. Really? Really? What grace. What relentless responsibility from the Lord what responsibility he has for all of us, that when we get it wrong, Jesus goes and makes our defense. Jesus goes and makes our defense. But it's better than that, because he doesn't have to go and make our defense in the, in the sense of saying, they didn't mean it, or they are really sorry now, or, or they, 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 they're saying this will really be the last time, because they really, really didn't mean it, and they're really, really sorry. He rather goes as our defense but he goes in our, our literal defense. For Christ goes to the Father and he shows him his wounds. He shows him the means by which we are forgiven. He shows him the means by which our sins have been dealt with once and for all. That we can be found not just not guilty, but innocent. That God takes away our sins because of what Christ accomplished. And so you can imagine Jesus going to the Father as it were, showing him the nail marks in his hands and the hole in his side where the spear went, going, they are forgiven. They're forgiven. They've been declared righteous. We, uh, one of the things we do in Hollywood is we run a food bank, and uh, I've met a guy uh, maybe last year uh, through the food bank, and uh, his life is colourful. Uh, it's full of drama. Some of the stories he tells about things that he's done in his life uh, would make you kind of your hair stand on end. And, and I took him for a curry for his birthday uh, just a few months ago. And uh, we were sat having this curry. And he said to me, he said, Steve, he said, I can't believe with my life and all the things that I have done, I'm sat here having a curry with a pastor. And he laughed. And so did I. And I said to him, look, I said, you didn't see nothing. It's nothing. Because despite all the things that we have all done, we're invited to have an eternity with God because Jesus is our advocate. 
But Jesus goes to the Father and he shows him the nail marks in his hands as the basis of our defense. And he says, look, they are forgiven because these nails went through my hands. They are forgiven because I died for them. And so that means that's great reassurance for us because to God's people who sin and stumble even though we try hard and not to. And we sin and we stumble and our inclination sometimes is to hide that. Jesus is saying that there is no need to hide it. There's no need to hide it for our sin does not need to define us. Our sin does not need to condemn us for forgiveness is available for Jesus goes to the Father and intercedes for us. There's no need. If you are aware of sin in your life, don't pretend it isn't there. Don't pretend it isn't there, for that is either foolish or just simply a lie, and there is no need. For confession to God is not met with a stick or a stoning, but with grace. And the footsteps of an advocate in Jesus who goes to the Father and intercedes for us. Verse 2 says, Christ is the sacrifice that takes away our sins and the sins of all the world's people. This is phenomenal, isn't it? This is extraordinary. That sin does not need to be a point of despair. Sin does not need to be the end of the journey or a means of dejection and self-loathing. We need to not listen to the voice of the devil. The voice of the evil one says, it will be okay. It doesn't matter. It's only a small thing. It's only a little thing. You'll enjoy it. The devil never shows us the dangers of everything that he points us to. And then we stumble. And it's the same voice that comes and says, you have done it now. You've blown it now. He doesn't want you anymore. We need to not listen to that voice the first time. And we certainly need not listen to that voice the second time. But rather listen to the voice of God that says, for your good, don't do this don't sin but if you do if you do for your good jesus will advocate for you jesus will make it right for you what a savior he went to the cross and put nails through his hands and his feet and he died to forgive us of those sins that our life need not end in that moment We need to remember that this was written to Christians and written as reassurance. And the longer we do walk with the Lord, the less we will likely sin. But sin is still present in our lives. And we need to know that when it is, we need to know that when we become face to face with it, that the cross of Christ is still enough. His grace is still enough. And he intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. Not by posting all of our merits, all the things that we think we've done that are good, but by showing him the nail marks in his hands. He intercedes for us. So if you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never asked him to forgive you, well, you can. That assurance and hope is there for us in these words, that the sacrifice of Jesus is enough. It remains enough and will always be enough. For those of us that have come to God, and confessed our sin and known what it means to be forgiven, but have stumbled again. Well, the instruction is sin no more. But for the times that you stumble, it's simply repeat, repeat, repeat. Come confess your sin, because you won't get a stick. But you'll get the arms and the embrace of our Saviour. For Jesus intercedes for each of us. Let me pray, and I'll hand back to Falcon.
Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you that they're reassuring, that they're hopeful. That they give us an instruction to not sin. Help us to see the the seriousness, the consequence of the way that we live. The choices that we make and the actions that we live by. Father, help us to put sin out of our lives. Help us to, uh, to know the scriptures, to live deeply in them. That we have things to hand that help us resist and resist the voice of the evil one. Resist the temptation that comes our way, as different as that will be for each of us. But Lord, when we stumble, and we know that so often we do, we thank you for that gracious reminder that Jesus will advocate for us. That Jesus intercedes. Not based upon our merits, not based upon our worth, but based upon his sacrifice. That the nails through his hands and his feet, the stripes upon his back were enough. His death was enough. The resurrection conquered the grave. It's sin now has no hold. That we can climb into your lap as children and wrap our arms around you for we're wanted and we're welcome. For you advocate for us. And we thank you. Amen. Amen.